You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. The most important aspect of dreaming is to know and align ourselves with God's dream. Until we find out his dream, we won't fully grasp the dream that he has for each of us individually. We have been in a series of teaching entitled Dream. And not only has this been the Sunday series, but this is also really the theme for 2016. And I pray that all of you have completed uh, your dream and put it on the dream wall. I've already begun to get a lot of testimonies of how God is already beginning to answer prayer and, and move in the area of many of your dreams, and that's exciting. And so we've been in this series entitled Dream. That's the theme for 2016. And we started this series on New Year's Eve at our New Year's Eve celebration I shared the word of the Lord with you about burn it in dream, meaning that, that you've got to close the door on yesterday and really remove the opportunity for you to go backwards in order to dream. Then I shared with you on the first Sunday of January, don't miss this opportunity that God has given us a brand new year because it's, it's a great opportunity to dream because God is for you and that's why God delights in our dreams. And then many individuals posted on the dream wall that, that they had a dream for either personal growth or a dream for their family to grow and to be healed in a variety of ways. And so we took the, the, the last two weeks um, to talk about a dream for personal growth. And, and then we talked about a, a dream for your family. And I gave you really practical steps of how to create a family plan. And then on last Sunday, my goodness, uh, we dealt with how it's significantly important to not give up on your dream. Amen, to, to not give up on your dream. But on this morning, we're closing this series uh, called Dream, and we're closing it by looking at God's dream. Amen, because God has a dream for us. I think it's extremely important, as we spent the last several weeks looking at a variety of issues related to your dream, that we close this series with you understanding what God's dream is because God does have a dream for you. And God has been communicating this dream for quite some time. But unfortunately, many people don't know what God's dream is. And as I said a moment ago, God has been saying it over and over and over again, particularly in his word. When you hear Jesus talking about the Great Commission, when he establishes the New Testament church before he ascends to heaven, the Great Commission is, is really just another retelling of God's dream. You see it in the book of Acts. Um, when, when the Acts church, the New Testament church, is growing by leaps and bounds, the way that they are doing ministry and structure is along the lines of God's dream. You see it throughout the New Testament when the Apostle Paul is on the scene and, and as the gospel is spreading uh, throughout the world, particularly in the region of Gentiles, you hear the Apostle Paul talking over and over and over again about God's dream. But here's the point. God did not begin communicating about his dream in the New Testament. God started talking about his dream all the way back in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Exodus. It's in the book of Exodus when God begins to talk about his dream. Why Exodus? Because in Genesis, God starts with the man. 
God, God through Noah, finds a man named Abraham. And God gives Abraham this promise that I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And so God starts with Abraham and through Abraham we get Isaac and and Isaac then has has Jacob and Jacob's name is ultimately changed to Israel and Jacob has 12 sons one of those sons is Joseph who we dealt with on last Sunday and when Joseph uh, makes his transition from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to ultimately being the second in charge becoming the prince of Egypt God sends Joseph to Egypt to preserve his family And so when the famine hits, there are 70 members of Joseph's family that migrate from Canaan to Egypt. And after Joseph dies, that family of 70 grows into millions. So through one man, Abraham, they go from one man to a family to a nation of millions, just like through Jesus because of the sacrifice of one man. Salvation has now spread around the world to millions. And so in the book of Exodus, when the family has grown to a nation of millions, that's when God pulls everybody together and begins to articulate his dream. God, God, God in other words, pulls the nation together and says, let me tell you why I've done what I've done from, from Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, ultimately through Joseph. Let me tell you why I've done what I've done. Because in Exodus, God pulls the nation together and begins to articulate his dream. And incidentally, if you are new to the worship center or, you know, one of the things I love about our great ministry is how diverse we are. We are a church for all people, all races, all ages, all socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and so we're a very, very diverse church. We've got people that, that have come from no faith background and, and, and we introduce them to Jesus. We've got individuals that have come from other denominational backgrounds. And if you're new to the ministry or maybe sometimes you've come from a different background or you wondered, why in the world do you all do things a certain way you're going to learn about that today because everything that we do in this ministry we do because of God's dream we are we are structured and aligned because we want to do things according to God's dream well what is God's dream it's right there at the top of your notes in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7 And I underlined certain phrases in your message notes because I want you to see this. This is when God pulls the nation together and begins to articulate his dream. He says, through Moses, here's what I want you to tell the Israelites. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. When God articulates his dream, it it all revolves around these Four times that God talks about I will, I will, I will, and I will. So what is God's dream? The first thing that God says is his dream is he says, I will bring you out. Right there, God is talking about salvation. And by way of salvation, he's also talking about knowing God, knowing him. Let me back up and say this. Part of the reason why you have to know God's dream It's because often what we do is we we go after our dream, and that's great. 
But real breakthrough, real change happens when your dream is connected to God's dream. So what is God's dream? God, God says first, I will bring you out. Somebody say salvation. And by salvation, what I really mean and what God means is God says, I want you to know me. See, when God says this through Moses to the nation of Israel, they are in bondage. They are slaves to the Egyptians. And so the first part of God's dream is God is literally saying, I want you out. God is saying, I don't want you to be in bondage. I don't, I don't want you to be oppressed. I don't want you to be a slave to anyone or anything. And the way that God brings them out was through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. It literally was the blood that provided a way out because that's what salvation is. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to give up his life, to literally shed his blood so that you and I could guess what? Have a way out. I was, I was talking to someone recently this week and they were telling me they were just excited and overjoyed about how much God had been doing in their life. And they kept saying, pastor, pastor, if you, if you just knew where I used to be, I mean, it just kept going. Pastor, I'm telling you, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Man, God is so awesome because, pastor, if you just knew where I used to be, she kept saying it over and over. I'm telling you, pastor, listen, if you only knew where I used to be, and I was, I was just celebrating with her and I was excited and uh, I was listening to her, but here's what I was thinking in my mind. I don't necessarily have to know where you used to be because I know where I used to be. And I know that the reason I'm no longer there is because God brought me out. See, here's the first part of God's dream. God is saying, I don't want you to be enslaved to sin. I don't want you to be enslaved to your flesh. I don't want you to be enslaved to the enemy, junk, or anything. God says, I literally want to bring you out. As a matter of fact, even today, when God looks down from heaven and when he sees people enslaved to sin and other stuff, he desperately wants to reach down from heaven and to pull them out of whatever they are in. This is why the longest beam of the cross is the vertical beam. Because that's God's arm of reaching out of heaven and literally pulling us out of the stuff that, that we may be stuck in or enslaved to. But here's what you have to know. When God says, I want to bring you out, he's not talking about being on the roll of a church somewhere. A lot of people think, well, you know, I'm, I'm a member of my grandmother's church or I grew up in my mama's church and I don't really go all the time, but I'm, I'm on the roll there. And a lot of people think that that checks the box of, of them really being in right relationship with the Lord. No, no, no. When God says, I'll bring you out, he's not talking about being on, on the roll of a church or occasionally going to a family church. God is not talking about, about religion. What he's talking about is he's talking about relationship. When God says, I want to bring you out, he's not talking about religion. He says, I want you to have a relationship with me. As a matter of fact, the very first thing then Moses tells Pharaoh when he goes into Pharaoh's court and says, hey, God wants his people. Pharaoh says, why? Moses doesn't say because he's got a promised land. The promised land is, is kind of uh, the benefit of relationship. The promised land is kind of like the honeymoon. What God wanted, 
he says, Moses, tell Pharaoh I need my people to go into the desert for three days and I need them to worship me there. God says, I want, I want you to know me. I want you to have a real vibrant relationship. And that's not religion. God says, I want relationship. I want to show this to you. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, this is Jesus in doing ministry. And notice what it says in Mark 1, beginning at verse 21. It says that they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, this is a Sunday, guess where Jesus goes? He goes into the church, the synagogue, and he began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue, a man who was, who was faithfully attending the church of his family, he was in church and he was possessed by an impure spirit and cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Drop down to verse 32. It says, that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all of the sick, all of the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Here's the question. If Jesus goes into the synagogue and begins to heal people that are in church, what are, what are they receiving in church? I think you missed it. There's a man who, who had been wrapped up in religion, going faithfully, but was still bound. And so Jesus goes in, what is it that he has that they don't have? He's got relationship. And so people recognize that, wait a minute, there's something different that he has that we don't have. And so subsequently, they brought all of the people to the door of where Jesus was staying so that they could be healed. And many of these people were wrapped up in religion. What's the difference? Religion doesn't have the power to bring deliverance, to bring healing, to bring change. Only relationship does. And when God says, I want to bring you out by way of salvation, he says, I want you to know me. That's where the power is. That's where the change is. Look at Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Let me show this to you again. Titus 3 and Verse 3 says, it wasn't long that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. This is the Bible. I didn't say this. Titus says, it wasn't long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands. That means that you just did whatever your flesh wanted to do. Going around with a chip on our shoulder, hate it and hate it back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God stepped in, he saved us from all of that it was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it, new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. And God's gift has restored our what? Relationship with him. And given us back our lives. And there's more life to come. An eternity of life. You can count on this. Titus says, the reason all of this happened, the reason this change and transformation happened was because of the relationship that we have with God. Not religion. Relationship. 
God says, my dream is that I bring you out, that you are saved. But, but by way of saved, God says, I want you to know me. I don't want it to just be something that you did as a child and you don't even remember the significance of it. I want, I want you to have a vibrant relationship with me. That's the first part of God's dream. But then here's the second part of God's dream. He says the next thing in Exodus 6, he says, I will free you. I will free you. By way of of freeing us, what God means here is deliverance. And the way that I love to teach this is is God says, I want you to find freedom. I want you to find freedom. I got to unpack this because deliverance, a lot of people think that deliverance is spooky. You know, a lot of people think that deliverance is about you know, somebody's head spinning around, you know. A lot of people think that, that deliverance is somebody, you know, putting their hands on you and spitting all on you, you know. Cookie demon, come out! You know, I mean, blah, 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 come out! You know, that's what a lot of people think deliverance is. That's Hollywood. It's not Bible. Amen. Deliverance, that's not what deliverance is. Notice that God says, I will bring you out. Then he comes right back and says, I will free you. I think you missed it. Why in the world does God say, I will bring you out? You will no longer be slaves. And then he comes right back and says, and then next, I will free you. It, it, it feels like, it seems like if we are brought out, that if we are no longer slaves, then why does God have to come back and say, and I will free you? It seems kind of uh, out of sorts. If we're out, doesn't it mean that we're free? Not necessarily. See, deliverance is for people who are still trapped in their old life. Because even when God brings us out of stuff, guess what? That stuff is still on the inside of us. I'm teaching so much better than your respondent. Meaning you you can be free and still act like a slave. Because the stuff that you've been in, while you may not still be in it, you still got the residue of it all on the inside of you. Let me give you a tangible example. This is Vision Sunday. And so excited about what we're doing in this ministry and how we're impacting lives, not just locally, but globally. And one of the things that I'm most proud of, I mean, it's a ton of things that I'm proud of, but one of the things that I take a significant amount of joy in is the fact that we're in eight different prisons doing ministry uh, across the state of Alabama uh, to to eight different prisons. We're working right now to be able to to bring our services on Sunday uh, into the prisons uh, so that the prisoners can not only be in small groups and and like we're already doing, but to worship on Sunday uh, watching the service. But, But I'm so proud of that. Because, because what happens often with people that are incarcerated is that when they are released, over half of them, in some way, shape, or form, end up going back to prison. It's called recidivism. Why? Because, because even though they're free, even though they get released or get paroled, the culture of prison, the culture and everything that comes with being in prison often is still on the inside of them. And so they're free, but they still function like they're incarcerated. And before you pass judgment on them, we are the same way. Often God has brought us out of stuff, but we still behave like the stuff that we used to be a part of. This is the same issue that the children of Israel had. God brought them out 
of Egypt, they were no longer slaves, but they still thought like slaves. They still talked like slaves. They still behaved like slaves. Many of them even said, man, we, we, we wish we could go back. Can I tell you something? God brought them out of Egypt, but guess what? Here's the way I like to teach it. Egypt was still on the inside of them. And this is often one of the biggest struggles for many believers. As a matter of fact, 80 to 90% of believers get stuck right here. 80 to 90% of believers, this is where we are. We're saved, but we're still struggling with our old life. This is incidentally why some believers are really good at hurting other people. Man, I wish we could talk. I remember growing up in the, in the faith, and I remember I, I, was, I used to be so judgmental. I saw people behave in a certain way in church, and I was like, my God, I mean, and you call yourself a believer. Shame on you. I'm going to tell God on you. I mean, and, I, and I'm thankful that God delivered me from that level of judgment because, because I didn't understand then what I know now. It's not that they don't love the Lord. The issue is that they're still struggling with their old life. And this is not a new phenomenon. The Apostle Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 7, in verse 25. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, he says, so then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. He says, I love the Lord. I'm committed to him. He says, but in my sinful nature... I'm a slave to the law of sin. He says, I'm, I'm for Jesus, but I still got this stuff in my life from my old life that I'm still struggling with. And so Paul says, well, what's the answer? And he says, I got it. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He says, praise God, even though I still struggle with my old life, there's, I'm not condemned. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really uh, outside of, of God's love. He says, there's now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit gives life and has set you what? Free from the law of sin and death. Paul says, I got it. He says that I have access to freedom through Jesus. What is he talking about? He's talking about deliverance. And so many people need this. More than anything else. We used to sing this song when I was in youth choir. You know, please be patient with me. We had a sway. God is not through with me. Man, y'all so stuffy. I mean. And some of us, we've been singing that song for much of our life. Oh, be patient with me. God is not through with me. What? Yeah. No, 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 no. God says, no, I want to free you. I don't want you to perpetually be stuck right here. I want you to be free. Let me explain the distinction like this. Salvation takes care of eternity. Deliverance, though, determines the quality of life that you live here on earth. And so many of us are saved. But so many of us live a messed up quality of life. Because we haven't been delivered. I want to show you this, this illustrative video. I hope the media team can cue it up that I think will really help you get this. Hey, family, one of the reasons why God's dream is not only for salvation, but for deliverance. The reason that God is so passionate about us finding freedom is because this board 
represents you. Meaning that every time you go through a situation or an event or something happens to you, it makes a mark on your soul. When you go through a divorce or when you go through disappointment or when you had high expectations for someone and they disappointed you, all of these things make marks on your soul. And this is also part of the reason why when you haven't found freedom, this is what your life looks like, cluttered with all of the things that have happened to you. And so it's hard for you to find peace. It's hard for you to hear the voice of God when you haven't found freedom. But when you allow God to bring deliverance in your life, here's what is happening. It's like God takes a rag and just begins to wipe all of the things that have happened to you away and off of your life. That's what it feels like when you find freedom. And when you allow God to do that, then guess what? Something underneath all of the things that have happened to you was waiting to be discovered. And you know what's discovered? Your purpose. Amen. That's so good, isn't it? I'm talking about God's dream. So God says, first of all, I want to bring you out. That's salvation. And then the necessary next step, God says, don't, don't think that, hey, I'm saved. God says, don't think that that's the finish line. You're just getting started because I got to deliver you. I want you free. Because when you find freedom, then God can get you to the third step of his dream. He wants you to discover your purpose. This is why God says, I will bring you out. Then secondly, he says, I will, I will, I will free you. Then the third thing is, he says, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. That's restoration. In parentheses, right, discovering your purpose. Why? Because here's what the word redeem means. Redeem means to literally restore to its original intent. That's what redeem means. Redemption means that God wants to restore us to the reason that we were created. God wants to restore us to the real reason that he created us in the first place. So when God says, I will redeem you, he's talking to the Israelites and they were making bricks out of straw for Pharaoh. But that's not what they were originally created to do. There's a promise on their life that goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. And he says, no, I want you to be about doing what I created you for. And that's a word for us because there are a lot of us that are doing a whole bunch of things and we may have been doing them for a very long time. But here's the point. That's not what you were created to do. It has been said that two of the greatest days of the day that you were born and the day that you discover why. And so many of us never get to that point. God created you for a specific purpose. There's a verse of scripture that's not in your notes, but write it. It's Ephesians 2.10. I love it. It says that we are created and we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. Long before your mom and dad were born, God had a purpose for you. And here's the thing. You can't discover that purpose through what people say. Oh, you look like an attorney or you look like you'll be. No, no, people can't help you to discover that purpose. Only God can. Let me show this to you. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. It says this. It says, it is in who? Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, 
He had his eye on us, had his designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and everyone. You find out what you were created for in Christ. In Christ. God says, I want, I want to bring you out. God says, that's salvation. He says, I want to free you. I want to free you. I want you to find freedom. That's deliverance. He says, and I will redeem you. That's restoration. He says, I want you to discover your purpose. And then he says, here's the last part of my dream. He says, I'll take you as my own people. He says, I'll take you as my own people. What is that? That's fulfillment. That's when you begin to really make a difference. Because let me tell you, real fulfillment is not about money. Real fulfillment is not about cars and clothes and where you live. I may lose some of you right here, but, but you, you live long enough, you'll find this out. Real fulfillment is not in stuff. Real fulfillment is when you know what you're called to do and you are doing it. That's where real fulfillment comes. Real fulfillment is when you do the thing you were created to do. This is why you don't have to twist my arm to make me preach. Amen. I get up ready to preach. Amen. I got to preach in the morning and preach in the bathroom. I got to preach when I'm brushing my teeth. Do you hear what I'm trying to teach you? Because this is what I was created to do. But notice this. In God's dream, he says, he says I will bring you out. He says, I, I will free you from being slaves to them. He says, I, I, will, I will redeem you. But then the last thing is, he says, but I'll take you as my own people. Every part of the dream, except for the last part, is you, 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 you. But then when he, when he gives you the last part of his dream, he says, but then I want to do what I want to do in you so that you can be a part of my people. Hmm. At this stage... It's not about you, it's about people. Why? Because the greater thing that God wants to do, he's not going to do it through individuals, he's going to do it through people. When God looked at Adam, the very first thing God said was bad is he says, oh, no, you, no, you can't be everything I called you to be by yourself. You can't do what I called you to do by yourself. It's not good for you to be alone. The greater thing that God wants to do, he's not just going to do through you, he's going to do through a team. This is why real fulfillment comes when you're doing the thing that you were created to do, but guess what? You're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it on a team with people. Psychologists have even come up with this same conclusion. Psychologists have been studying the innate needs of people for years. A guy by the name of Abraham Maslow made it really popular when he came up with what's called his hierarchy of needs. And what he revealed and uncovered was that the highest need of people was something called transcendence and the thing about transcendence is that it's it's about when you live your life in such a way that you're making the difference in somebody else's life what psychologists have have maintained is that what drives you what gets you out of bed in the morning the highest need of people is to know that in some way shape or form their life is making a difference in somebody else's life this is what Jesus was talking about in John 10 and 10 when he says that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. He's talking about living your purpose and making a difference. Our ministry team went out 
this week and did something. I'm going to show you the video in just a second. But they, they went out and they did something. They went, they went around to um, stores, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, and, and um, they, they just were there um, to bless people. And so um, I'd given them money, and, and, and every time somebody got in line to pay for their order, uh, someone from my ministry team stepped up, paid for it, and then gave them a card. And a card says, this is, this is just our way of showing you that God loves you, and so do we. And, and they did that, and they came back, and, man, they were overjoyed. I mean, they came back like, yes. I said, how did they go? They were like, oh, man, it was amazing. I mean, they were fired up. Why? Because that's how you feel when you do something for somebody else. And when you live in such a way that your life is making a difference. I'm preaching much better than you're responding. Teach, Pastor Van. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm doing the doggone thing. That's God's dream. That's God's dream. That's God's dream for you and I. I want to show this to you. I taught you the four components of God's dream. I want to show it to you in scripture. Because every person that God used mightily, you'll see that they fulfilled these four components. In Acts chapter 3 and verse number 1, I just want to read these verses and then I'll be closing. It says, one day... Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when Peter and when he saw Peter and John about to enter the church, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, "Look at us." So the man gave them his attention. Expecting to get something from him then. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all of the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him while the man held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to them. I want you to not miss this. Here's what the religious people did. They would pick this guy up every day and they would not bring him in the church. They would sit him at the front of the church. You're going to get this. So he could beg as folk were going into the church. So, so people were walking into the church and they were just throwing him scraps. They were too busy to even try to minister to him because they were so busy trying to get in the church. That's the religious folk. And one day, Peter and John, ah, we've heard them before, haven't we? Peter, 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 this is the, the, the same Peter and John who, who, who Jesus brought out. He brought them out of Jewish religion and tradition. They had a relationship with him. Peter, Peter and John, particularly Peter, that had gone through deliverance. Remember in John 21, after Peter denied Jesus three times, Think about the weight that was, was on his soul that he is carrying because he lied and, and, and said, I don't even know Jesus. Jesus makes a special trip in John 21 to go back to Peter 
just to make sure that he's delivered. He he had discovered his purpose because this was the same Jesus that says, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. It's you, Peter, that God created you to pastor this church. And then the, the, the final thing, they're living out their purpose and they're doing it on a team. Because it's Peter and John that go to the temple. They're going to church. And this man, he just thinks that, they, that, that they're going to treat him just like all of the, the other religious people treat him. He says, hey, would you give me something? Would you please give me something? He said, look at me. Silver and gold I don't have. But I do have something. See, you, you can't give it to others if you don't have it. Teach Pastor Van. That's what relationship is about. I I know him so I can share him with you. Peter says, look at me. We don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we're going to give to you. In the name, there's power in the name. There's healing in the name. There's deliverance in the name. In the name of Jesus, they grab his hand and immediately the ankle straighten up. Of course, they're going to straighten up because, because demons have to tremble at the name of Jesus. Healing starts flowing in the name of Jesus. The man straightens up and goes in the temple, jumping and praising. And all of the religious folk say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's got something we don't have. Woo! Thank God the worship center is not a religious place. We're about relationship. I taught you about God's dream because I dare not close this series without encouraging you to be part of God's dream. Some of you may be wondering, Pastor, how, how can I be part of God's dream? First thing, number one, write this down. Get connected to God and his church. Get connected to God and his church. The second thing is, that, that's how you get to know God. You get connected to him, and then you get in a a great church home where you can be taught the word of God. That's what the worship center is here for. And then, how do, you, how do I experience freedom? Pastor, you were teaching about this freedom. I want to experience this freedom. How do I experience this freedom? Get in a small group. That's, that's why small groups were created. Small groups are not a newfangled thing. Small groups go all the way back to the New Testament. They really go back further into the Old Testament. That's where freedom happens. This week, small groups are launching. We pray that every person in our church gets involved in a small group. Here's the third thing. But, Pastor, I I need that redemption. I I need to be restored to my original purpose. That's why we ask you every week to get in growth track. Get in growth track. No growth track on the fifth Sundays, but the first through fourth. Get in growth track. There's a special teaching in growth track that is designed to help you get to your purpose. Get, get, Get in growth track. And then fourthly and finally, join the team. Get on the dream team. Help us to make a difference. I taught you last week that the seeds of your dream are planted when you serve others that had Joseph not not served the cupbearer and the baker, he never would have got out of prison. Serve. Get on the dream team. Serve. But here's the last thing you ought to do. You ought to share your faith. Just like Peter and John said, silver and gold we don't have, but we know Jesus and we can share him with you. And I know some people think, well, Pastor, I don't know scripture like you. I can't quote scripture. I can't preach like you. Guess what? You don't have to do all of that. All you have to do is care. Look at somebody and say, just care. 
We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.